Welcome to... Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets Antenna Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. A bit of a change of plans for all of you listeners. I know I keep promising an in-person podcast. Chris Halioris, Matt Stokoic, and myself. It will happen at some point while we're all down here in Orlando. Unfortunately, turns out they've got some prior commitments. And, of course, I can understand Chris Halioris. He's got a day job. And we are always so grateful for his contributions here at Cracked Rackets. It's just, you know, it's impossible for me to ask him to record a podcast at 1.30 a.m. when these matches have finished. Stay up until 2, 2.30. That's just an unreal reasonable request. Similarly, you know, Maddie's down here with his family, his parents, his sisters here. Obviously, they're all watching the stud of the family, Nick Stokowiak, playing for the Baylor Bears. So, you know, both of them, uh, prior commitments. Now, again, I do promise we're getting them on the podcast after the semifinals because it's a weekend on Saturday. And I'm not taking any more excuses moving forward from the both of them. But unfortunately, that does mean it's just, I suppose, still fortunate. I don't know why I'm saying unfortunately. I'm still really happy to discuss all of uh, Thursday's men's quarterfinal matches, preview Friday's semifinals as well. But I suppose, unfortunately, those two not going to be able to join us on today's podcast. But again, rest assured, we're in person. We all got to hang out yesterday. It was such a blast. Someone actually came up to us, might have been Jay, to be honest, and said, oh, the Holy Trinity is together. And it was like, yeah, we actually are together. No, it was actually my buddy Max. Shout out to you, Max. Um, but yeah, it it's just really nice to get to hang in person. We hang out a lot in Zoom, and of course, I consider them two of my closest friends, um, not just in, in terms of in the tennis world, but two of my closest friends in life, and to get to hang out with them in person is not something we get to do often, and you know, we get to shoot the shit, do all the fun things you get to do when you're together here in Orlando, which is truly the mecca right now of the college tennis universe. It's delightful. Coaches are now down here for the individual event. Players competing in the individual event are here as well. There's a lot of chatter. A lot of noise on the ground, and I'm going to save that chatter and noise for when we do have Chris and Matt on the podcast because, of course, I would love to hear their thoughts on everything that's floating around as well. But again, the agenda for today's podcast, I'm going to recap Thursday's men's quarterfinal matches, preview Friday's semifinals. If you'd like to hear the women's edition of this show, tune on over to the mini break podcast where I did a similar exercise already this morning. And again, as I'm recording this podcast, NC State about to get underway with Texas, so unfortunately I am not yet on site there. I am monitoring the doubles out of the corner of my eye because certainly that doubles point so, so important for any team that wants to knock off the depth, the talent that is these Texas women's longhorns. But again, on this podcast, I'm going to focus on the men's results. Again, recapping the four quarterfinals. We'll go chronologically. If you want to jump ahead, I'll then preview the semifinals as well. Of course, the reason we're able to do this day in, day out here at Crack Rackets, in particular on this Great Shot podcast, is because of the support we get from all of you listeners, from our Crack Rackets Patreon family, and of course, from our friends at Turn of Tennis. You guys know the deal. It's the only grip that gets tackier that when you sweat. Its performance in hot and humid conditions is unmatched. And you know that color, that iconic blue that can be seen on the rackets of hundreds of touring pros, it's trademark. So if you would like to join the Turner Tennis family, you can contact them to get college pricing or free samples by emailing sales at uniquesports.com. We're calling 800-554-3707. Again, that's sales at uniquesports.com or 800-554-3707. Please mention we sent you there at Crack Rackets. They'll throw in some free samples. They'll treat you like family. Again, sales at uniquesports.com 
or 800-554-3707. Another quick obligatory uh, thing for me to mention here at the top because I'm doing this on all of the podcasts. If you are listening to this and you are in Orlando and you have not yet come and said hello, please do so. I'm immensely grateful, all of us here are at Crack Rackets, for the support we've received Obviously, not just here in Orlando, but throughout our time producing this sort of content. But it means the world to us that this podcast can be a platform to bring College Tennis Nation together. It's a bigger group than you would think. There are so many College Tennis fans out there that were just looking for something like this uh, to engage with. And so, again, immensely grateful for all of you who have come up and said hello. If you haven't yet, please do so. I apologize. I'm going to chat your ear off from three to five minutes. I'm trying to learn as much about all of you as I can, but I'm in my white crack rackets hat. You'll know me when I see, you know, is that the skinny guy with the thick eyebrows? That's me, uh, obviously. And, you know, again, I'm always going to be wearing that hat because there's no way I'm going to let any of you see what my hairline looks like at this moment. Nevertheless, so grateful to all of you that have come and said hello. Please continue to do so now. With that in mind, let's recap a fantastic Thursday of men's college tennis. And again, I'm going to go chronologically here, so let's start with our first match of the morning, Georgia taking on Tennessee. And to those of you who listened to yesterday's mini-break podcast with Alex Banchilla, you would have heard him accurately predict that this Georgia team, they're scrappy. They seem to be peaking in doubles at the right, or they seemed to be, I should say, past tense, peaking in doubles at exactly the right moment, and they get the job done, taking an all-important doubles point from Tennessee. I mean, look, Billy Rowe is just on fire here at these NCAA tournaments. He and Blake Kreuter take it to Monday in Prada 6-3. Just Billy made, I mean, he's making so many first serves, but him and Blake putting so many balls uh, into the court, and then Blake Kreuter at the net, you his hands as good as anyone you're going to find in the country. They they took it to Monday in Prada. They took the ball off of their rackets. They were the one initiating. They were the ones being the aggressors, dictating the f- course of play. And look, this Tennessee team's only dropped five doubles points now on the season. It takes a special performance, especially we saw the way Tennessee in their first match kind of ran through Arizona in doubles. For this Georgia team to beat Monday in Prada 6-3 for Henning and Gravilius. And I got to say, watching Eric Gravilius was quite the experience yesterday first time I got to see him play in person, the emotion, the aggression he plays with. That's what college tennis is all about, folks, and he and Phil Henning really take it to Hussey and Walner, 6-2, and again, Georgia just executed better than Tennessee did, and certainly this Tennessee team now, as they're going to face the gauntlet that is Baylor, and we'll get into that in a moment, to ask any team to find four singles wins against Baylor, that's a damn near impossible ask. So just, again, to emphasize how important that doubles point will be for all of these teams moving forward, you're going to hear me say the stat a bazillion times. I mentioned it in the mini break. There have been 24 matches here in Orlando. The team that wins the doubles point is 22-2, and two, but this is one of the two because this Tennessee team, and by the way, Harper and Walton, who are a top five team in the country, pretty unequivocally put so many returns in play. They're comfortable playing eye form. They're comfortable serving and volleying. They're comfortable playing two back. They're comfortable transitioning from the baseline in that two position, uh, back position to getting to the net and being the aggressors. They can do a little bit of everything. They take it to Bryden Zink. It was, you know, single break, 6-3. Take it to is too strong of a description there. They just play a really solid set of doubles. And, I mean, that's a team that absolutely so can zinc and bride when things break right. But I would want no part of Walton and Harper. They're just such a tough out. They're never going to beat themselves. They're never going to make low percentage plays. It was a great set from them, but Georgia was the more aggressive team. And, you know, the Georgia women were out in force 
Bulldog Nation was loud and proud throughout this match. And they, they came out swinging. And they got that doubles point. They got that boost they needed. But, and I mentioned this in the UNC Duke uh, recap, national championship winning teams, they respond to adversity. They come out and they perform how they're supposed to perform with their backs against the wall. And, you know, it was so funny because similar to Duke, it felt like the first hour and a half of this match belonged to Georgia. But then the Tennessee push came. And, you know, I was critical of Johannes Monday. Not critical, but I pointed out it was a rough day for the freshmen in the round of 16 for the men. You know, Strom, Von der Schulenberg, Monday all took L's and singles, which is not something they did a lot during the regular season. Monday responded here at number two singles. And him versus Tyler Zink, it was a six and four win for Johannes Monday. It had much more to do with what Johannes Monday was doing right than anything Tyler Zink was doing wrong. And just talking on the grounds, the fascination with Johannes Monday, he's one of those guys, 6'4", 6'5", lefty, big, aggressive game. Everyone thinks the world of him. That's not to say they don't think the world of Tyler Zink, but I mean... Once he got to the tiebreaker, you just liked Monday a little bit better because he does have that big first serve to win points a little bit easier. He is someone who's looking to move forward to the net as frequently as possible. At the same time, he's also you know, going to put a ton of returns in play. He's able to scrap a little bit at the ba- uh, on the baseline. He does hit a heavy forehand and, you know, hits through the backhand comfortably as well. He, I was just super impressed with Monday, who, again, with this victory here now moves, I believe, and I, I don't want to be incorrect here, but I believe he's now 19-4 and four at the number two singles position for the year, 24-5. and five. It's not a sure thing, but for a freshman to perform that well at that position, it's not Alex Damajan freshman year at Virginia, that 2011 team, but it's a tier below that. If Damajan's freshman season is the standard of excellence, the best of the best, I would say Damajan Blumberg, their freshman seasons are the two best in at least the past decade of men's college tennis, and coincidentally, they both did it at the number two singles position, but you know, if that's tier one, Johannes Monday's tier one and a half. Like, it's just, this guy's an absolute stud. And for him to drop that doubles, again, set, and I didn't think he played particularly well in doubles, to be honest, and get the win in singles, that was huge for the team. That put a point on the board. They also got a quick point, not quick point, relatively quick, meaning straight sets, from Adam Walton, four and four, who... Banchilla nailed the description yesterday. Just such a high IQ player. He's never going to beat himself. He's always going to you know, move the ball really well around the court. He's going to take away what you want to do best and just physically going to impose himself, make every match an absolute battle. That's what he did in this one uh, against uh, Trent Bride, who, you know, again, it was a little bit of a Spider-Man meme. I know I keep saying that. That's my. Uh, that's what I say when two players play similar styles of tennis. It was a little bit of a Spider-Man meme sort of match in that, you know, again, uh, both of these guys really, really solid all-around games. And I think Trent is, you know, probably a little bit more aggressive of the two players, but Walton just, he's older. And it's just physically, you could tell he was a little bit more developed in this match, was able to, you know, extend points at extra three, four, five shots. And ultimately, that was good enough for him to uh, get the 4-4 four and four win. And, you know, again, those were the two straight set wins that were very straightforward for Tennessee. They were kind of in command on both of those courts. Again, Zink Bride didn't play bad matches by any stretch of the imagination. Monday and Walton just went out and beat them. But then we get to the bottom four uh, flights, three, four, five, and six singles. And 
credit to the Georgia Bulldogs. They earned three first sets, which, by the way, is exactly what you need to do when you win the doubles point. You're halfway there. You just got to close out your leads. You know, again, to talk about Billy Rowe, 6-2 first set for him. Uh, Phil Henning, 6-3 first set. Blake Kreuter, 6-4 first set over Luca Wiedemann. That was super, super impressive because we all know how good Wiedemann's been this season. You look at the numbers for him. You know, Luca's lost three total matches. He's 12-2 and at the number four singles position now, but you know, you always felt like Luca was going to come back, and so you kept an eye on that match, but, you know, simultaneously to uh, those three first sets, Eric Gravilius, who dropped his first set 6-3 to Andrew Rogers, who was the play today for Tennessee at six singles, you thought to yourself, he was up 5-2, I believe, in that second set, or if not 5-2, 4-1, and you know, you thought, all right, Gravilius gets the split. We're going to have three three-set matches at a minimum. Henning and Prada were headed towards a breaker on three. Prada went up an early break in the second set, but Henning kind of scrapped it back, and it kind of felt like Henning had the momentum in that breaker. And just, you know, if Gravilius could close out that set that we were going the distance, and because Tennessee had dropped that doubles point, they would have to win, you know, two three-set matches uh, versus, I guess, Georgia would have had to win three three-set matches. But still, with Billy having the momentum and, you know, Henning closed it out, it would have just been a 2-2 split, but then Andrew Rogers, or I don't know if Gravillius, you know, Gravillius, did he blink a little bit? I don't think that's fair to say. I mean, he, it's tough, because it's not as though Gravillius played poorly, but he did sort of back off a little bit, or at least Rogers began saying, you know what, sorry, for lack of a better term, f- this. I'm playing my game, I'm being aggressive, enough of, and I have to say, the Georgia bench, which again, included both the men and the women, they were phenomenal, and they were on top of Andrew Rogers. But what I don't think they realized is they had a sleeping giant looming in Rogers. And Rogers, a big kid, six two, three, four, at least filled out sort of guy, plays a big, aggressive style of tennis, can hit a big ball, can, you know, get to the net and assert his place, put Gravilius on his back foot. That's what he was able to do. And look, there were a ton of deuce points down the home stretch of that second set that broke Rogers' way, but it all broke Andrew Rogers' way. And when Rogers Closed out Gravilius for six three seven five win, overcoming that second set deficit. You just felt like the day belonged to Tennessee. And of course, again, Giles Hussey takes a second set from Billy Rowe, 6-2. Although worth noting, Rowe was up a break to Love in the third. And again, Prada had earned an early break and was leading. And it looked like he was going to earn the split on three. And then Luca Wiedemann going to Luca Wiedemann. I mean, talk about a guy who's just as tough of an out as you are going to find at the number four singles position. Puts a million balls in play, but then, you know, changes direction really, really well. There's not a shot in the book he can't hit, and he moves so well as well, and just... He's so, so fun to watch. He's He embodies everything you would want a fifth-year senior on your roster to be. And again, I said the number already. He's 24-3 and this season uh, in dual matches and 34-4 and overall. The guy's an absolute stud. And with all due respect to Blake Kreuter, who tried to move forward, tried to keep Wiedemann on his back foot, tried to just be the initiator, uh, initiator and say, hey, you know what? If you can hit this passing shot, congratulations, you can beat me. And Wiedemann beat him. Like, that's that's as simple as it is. Wiedemann took the ball off of Kreuter's racket, was able to get the job done. 4-6, 6-2, 6-3. You could just feel it when all eyes turned to Wiedemann. When, again, Rogers got that third point on the board, it was just like, all right, now, you know, if you're making a bet on a third set and you have Luca Wiedemann in that third set, you probably like him against any other four singles player in the country. 
I love you, Nikki Stokowiak. You know that when I say that. But I'm saying you're, you're going to feel confident against Luka, even against a Nick, even against any of these players still remaining in the draw. Cleve Harper and, you know, um, who's the four singles for? Oh, even Blaze Bicknell. You like Wiedemann's chances in that match, certainly. I've heard others argue he won the match at the SEC tournament. You can make that argument if you'd like, but, you know, technically scoreboard is what it is. Anyways, yeah, Luka's a stud. And when you have a fifth-year senior in a third-set match, you like your chances. Tennessee gets the win, and with it, they earned the first four points off the board. That is such an impressive 4-1 victory over these Georgia Bulldogs. And I do want to point out, what does Georgia lose next year? Nothing. What do they bring in? couple of superstar transfers as well. This Georgia team is going to be right back at this stage next year, maybe even further, but shout out to this Tennessee team who, you know, last season probably still would have been good, but they bring in Johannes Monday, and they have made the most of that addition of that bonus year because the fifth-year seniors, Walton, Wienemann, they are getting sent out in the fashion they have deserved and they have earned. You know, talking to the coaches, they still think they have another gear to hit, and I have to say, considering they dropped doubles, this was not their best performance of the year, but this was their best singles performance. They scrapped, they clawed, they now find themselves two matches away from a national championship. And shout-out to the Tennessee Athletic Department. I believe Coach Scott Barnes was here and the AD was here. They support one another, and that's that's all you can ask as a, I suppose, a college athletic department. So shout out to Tennessee. But now, obviously, they're going to face the test of all tests in the Baylor Bears. And, you know, speaking of atmospheres, it was a home match for Baylor in Orlando. And it, that's a testament to their bench. That's a testament to Baylor Nation that seems to travel so well to these events. I mean, what am I to say about this Baylor Bear team? It's worth noting TCU, who was not healthy all season long, so many different injuries. They didn't have Sander Jong today, and they did have him in doubles, but they didn't have him in singles. That made a difference, and, you know, credit to—first of all, conditions during this match, particularly in the doubles, were awful. 20-mile-per-hour winds at a minimum, everything swirling, nothing able to hit cleanly. And, you know, again, credit to Famba and Gray, who are a dangerous duo heading into the individual doubles. They take it to Fronson and Law, 6-2, and Fronson and Law absolutely had their chances. Let's be clear. I mean, there are a couple of deuce points that broke against them, and so take it to them was probably too harsh, but Famba and Gray won that match. Fronson and Law didn't lose it if that makes sense. Again, they they just put so much pressure. Alistair Graves fired up in this match. He had the energy you need to pull off an upset. And, you know, again, that was a great set from them. But then Baylor does what Baylor does. Soto, Stokowiak, 6-3 win over Paralek and Jong. And, you know, then it comes down to number three doubles. And if you're Horn Frog Nation, you're kicking yourself because Kruger and Fernley did have a match point. I believe it was that four-all, uh, excuse me, five-six deuce point. Finn just kind of hits a big serve and Charlie gets a clean put away, and you're thinking to yourself, well, that's the one we got to do a little bit better on. But I don't know how you do a little bit better because, again, Baylor won that breaker and won that match on three. I don't think TCU lost it because, I mean, Baylor goes up, what, was it 6-2 in the breaker? Maybe it was 6-3. TCU able to fight their way back. They actually get it back on serve 5-6. And then Charlie Broom hits an inside-in forehand over the highest part of the net on the ad side of the court for a winner. That's winning the match, folks. That's prime time clutch performing. That's why Charlie Broom came to 
you know, Baylor. That's why I've been on the broom bandwagon. It's not the only reason why. Obviously, he's one of my boys as my guy, Maxwell. Uh, not Maxwell, Maximilian Fliegner. Sorry, I was screwing up my Maxes there. Was on his team at Dartmouth, our super producer. And so he's been singing Charlie's praises for like five years now. And I know all about Charlie's game. I can recognize it. The moment he has that forehand backswing, I'm like, that's Charlie Broom. Um, but look, the decision by Coach Woodson to change up his doubles lineups, to go Stokowiak Soto, Broom Bass, it's worked. And you look at the numbers, they reflect that fact for the Baylor Bears. Broom and Bass now, as a duo, have had, and I'm looking at all of the doubles duos that have played for the Baylor Bears this year. It's like at least 17 different duos, which of course is what you can do when you have as much talent as they have on the roster. But you look, Broom and Bass now 8-3 and three at three doubles, but they've won their last four decisions. And that's the key. And then, you know, Stokowiak and Soto, uh, they won a Futures title, I believe, together before the season started. You look at the success they have now had uh, at the position. They're 11-1 and at two doubles. They've won their last eight decisions. That's You're feeling good about the doubles point if you're the Baylor Bears. And once they get the doubles point, they just don't lose. And, you know, again, you, you look for TCU who... Or without uh, their guy, uh, Sander Jong, in singles. It means Fernley's up, Jirasek, Paralek, Kruger. And I just want to say quickly, Teddy Paralek was the one win on the day for TCU. He knocks off Charlie 2-4. and four. I'm all in on Teddy. Like, I think that guy is going to be an absolute stud. And, you know, it's funny, coming into the match, the Baylor players, and this is from the TCU Athletic Department, had completed three over 300 more, I think it's like 328 more dual matches they had completed than the roster of TCU. That's freaking nuts. And much like Georgia, TCU's bringing everyone back next year, and they bring in Juan Carlos Aguilar as well. And, like, to throw Aguilar in this, I was joking around with Chris and Matt yesterday, I was like, does Aguilar play five singles? Because, like, what if Paralek continues his development? I think he slides up to three next year. What if, you know, we know what Fernley, Jirasek, Kruger, uh, Sander Jong's not going anywhere. Like, we know what all of those guys are capable of, and to throw Aguilar into the mix, that's a team that has all of the recipes, uh, all of the recipe, all the ingredients for the recipe of a national championship winning team. The best is still to come from these TCU Horn Frogs, and with all due respect to Adrian Boyton, who's my guy. I'm a fan of Adrian. I think Alistair was going to win that match on the day. Now, Boyton, he was either up a break, and he, I think he had like just broken Alistair to go up 6-5 in the second set, was going to earn the split, but you know he was up 4-2 in the first set. Gray ripped off four straight games. That had more to do with Alistair Gray's performance and just these brutal conditions, and Gray just responded so well to them. Then it did anything Adrian did wrong. I just think it was Alistair's day. Again, that is not a slight of Adrian Boyton. I think he was going to take that match at one. But Famba, or excuse me, Soto, four and four on Famba. He was down a break in that second set, got it back, got the break, I think at 15, or maybe it was even a break at love to clinch the match 6 4, 6 4, and particularly for Matias after you know, what was a rough performance for him against Finn Reynolds, for him to bounce back at number two. We all know how good Matias Soto can be on his best day. He's starting to click it again. And then, you know, Sven La, wow. If this is the Sven La we're going to see moving forward, good luck to everyone else because that's the one Baylor weak spot in theory, right? At that number three position there, 20 and 10 overall in the season. That's the only spot where they have uh, less than an 81% win percentage. But, you know, Sven's now won, I believe, his last three decisions that have completed, and, you know, he took it too firmly, and there was a close call, two all, Sven makes it for 3-2, I didn't see the ball mark, but 
Fernley never recovered from that call. And again, it's a credit to Sven Lod that he just kept taking it to him. He kept providing the pressure, going on and on and on. And I'm not bringing up that call, the slight Sven. I want to be clear again because I know, again, Baylor Bears, those are my guys. I didn't see the call. I have no idea, but that speaks to the intensity of the moment. If you can't get over something like that, and with all due respect to Jake, I think it did get in his head a little bit. And just Sven kept taking it to him. Again, Sven looks fit. He looks confident. That is a scary prospect for these TCU Horned Frogs. And then again, to quote my man, R-Y-A-N Dickey, who know that's my guy. Ryan Dickerson is 100% my guy. And I want you guys to go on Facebook right now or whatever it may be. Look up Ryan Dickerson. Look up Max Rothman, who was my doubles partner. Clearly, I have an affinity for Ginger. They're the same human. Gingers, they're the same human in my mind. It's just you watch the two of them similar. It's, it's hilarious if you saw how similar they are. And R-Y-A-N was bringing the noise. Hey, honestly, you should put a fifth point up on the board for Baylor considering the performance their crowd had today, whether it's Baylor, Bears, or like they wanted to remind us, hey, just so you know, you spell Baylor B-A-Y-L-O-R, or hey, we stomp on bleachers really, really well, or hey, we got a set on three, that's a set on two, that's a set on, you know, six. If they want to give me, you know, I've been relieved of broadcasting duties during that match. All you have to do is listen to the crowd noises. They'll dictate the story for you, and that's, again, a testament to the special environment these Bears have created. And where was that environment most pertinent? At the number six singles position, where Burtis Kruger had set points on Furman, but Spence is going to Spence, and it's death by a thousand paper cuts. That's what he does. It's not the prettiest tennis, It's, but it works. It's effective. There's a reason you look at Spencer's record this season. Uh, he's now, what, let's see, 15-2. and two. That's freaking nuts Twenty at six singles and 22-2 and two overall. These Baylor Bears can just win matches a million different ways. Again, it was doubles, four, five, six. The first match, this time it was doubles, two, three, and six. Of course, uh, you know, sitting on court four with the Stokowiak family because I got to hang out with my family while they're here, and the Stokowiaks are my family, and they know that. Uh, seven, five, two, three. Uh, Nick was up, and it, it, that match was just a grind physically. You know, Nick wasn't going anywhere, but credit to Jirasek who kept fighting and, again, scratching and clawing his way back into that match holding serve that match was never gonna finish let's be honest unless it was a 4-3 affair but you know again credit to the Bears they take the doubles point they take four first sets they close out the first set wins they get at two three and six and again credit to Spencer who wins that first set at six and then just the prospect of having to win two more sets after you had a set point against Spencer and you lost on that set point that is just mentally what a mountain to climb for any opponent and that's what makes this Baylor team so dangerous again they've now gotten wins at two three four five and six singles here in Orlando you know Boyton is going to scrap in every match he plays he's just as likely to win as anyone in the lineup and you know it's just these Bears are dangerous and now of course they're going to take on Tennessee and unfortunately I don't know why but Tennessee just not coming up on UTR I think Parsa wants to protect his volunteers we all know his relationship with Tennessee his relationship with UTR I'm convinced that's why he's just like nope I'm going to make things that much more difficult for Gruskin throw a wrench in his preview podcast I've obviously just for the record for those of you listening that's a huge joke uh Parsa's my guy uh, as you know, he's the one who made me realize, oh, man, anyone can do this, can't they? Um, and no, not anyone can do this, but uh, no, that's not true. Anyone really can do this. All you have to do is apply yourself. Anyways, that's a tangent for another time. Let's talk about this Tennessee-Baylor match. Oh, I mean, Tennessee's got to win doubles, right? Because you're not finding four singles wins against Baylor. It happened once this season. TCU did it 
was January. You know, it's not January anymore. It's May, and Sven Law's back at number three singles, starting to play that tennis that we all know he was capable of, that he showed off so frequently earlier in his career. And it's just like, again, if Wiedemann and Stokowiak finishes, that means it's a 4-3 match, in my opinion. If... You know, again, I just Spencer's record six singles has been the one flight that Tennessee has struggled at a little bit. You look for the numbers for them there. I'm trying to see overall 11, 12, 13 plus three is 16, four, eight, nine. They're 16 and nine at six singles. So you know, whether it's Rogers, whether it's you know Harper, whether it's even Walner or uh, Walner on the day, I, you lean towards Spencer because to have Spencer Furman at number two singles is a joke. It's something every team in the nation would trade for. They'd probably even trade for Connie Fronson, who doesn't lose dual matches either in singles just unfortunately is again a part of a stacked roster and I mentioned putting a point on the board for RYA and Dickey I should also throw one out there for the Fronsons they make as much noise and Connie's Connie's one of the emotional leaders of the Baylor Bears I feel bad for not shouting out him out earlier he's also one of my guys as well so got to give him some love but I mean look I'm just doing match calculus here six singles Yaline Baylor five singles I mean, Charlie's been so good, but, you know, the Tennessee's lost three times at five singles, whether it's Hussey or Wiedemann, and obviously it's Hussey this time. I'm not confident saying that's a lock for Baylor. I'm not confident saying that's a lock for Tennessee. I think that's a toss-up. I already mentioned my thoughts on four. At court number three, you know, again, Prada and I would say both Prada and La have finally started to play their best tennis here down the home stretch of the season. So that's really fun. You know, Walton's come through so clutch at number one singles for Tennessee during this SEC uh, during this NCAA run. He clinches again that win over uh, Ole Miss in the round of 16. Uh, over Ole Miss, excuse me. He clinches their win. Who did Tennessee play in the round of 16? They beat, I believe, Arizona. That's who it was. Oh, and he beat Strom in that final. And then, you know, Monday versus Soto. On his best day, Matthias Soto beats uh, Matias, excuse me, Soto beats anyone. On the worst days, you know it, it. It wasn't great against Finn Reynolds. And the thing you're concerned about Monday, there's a lot of things Finn Reynolds does that Monday does well. Lefty, aggressive game style, perhaps not as go for broke as uh, Finn Reynolds is, but. You know, again, there's absolutely a pathway for Johannes Monday to take that match. But what's so difficult about playing the Baylor Bears is, again, they match up everywhere. Tennessee matches up everywhere. It's an NCAA semifinal. Of course, all of these teams match up everywhere. (sighs) I mean, match calculus. For Tennessee, I say it's doubles. They need to get four. They probably need to get five. They need Hussey to knock off Broom. And then Monday, I'd say that's it. Doubles, two, four, five. Now, it's funny because for the Baylor Bears, I mean, they could also win one, right? I, you could also argue it's doubles, one, two, and five. Excuse me. That that could work just as well for the Bears, uh, for the Volunteers. I mean, for Baylor, I mean, again, for both of these teams, it's toss-ups. Pick them anywhere. Like, again, it just takes some gumption to straight up say, here's who I'm picking and why. And I'm picking the Baylor Bears because I think they're my pick to win the national championship here. They have I've said it since the get-go. They have the broadest pathway to four points of any team in the country, and I'm still waiting for them to play their best match. It really feels like they haven't yet here at this NCAA tournament. They've played well, but they haven't played extraordinarily uh, extraordinarily well. They haven't played that perfect match yet. Now, they're going to need to bring their A game against Tennessee because Tennessee is such a tough out. They've seen everyone, again— 
you look at their losses this season, they lost to Florida, who they got revenge against. They lost to UNC, who ran a perfect uh, you know, a perfect match against them, and they honestly probably should have beaten UNC if they take that doubles point. Who knows what that match looks like? And they lost that match to Arkansas. Like, by record, they have a... Uh, a better record than the freaking uh, than than their opponents, the Baylor Bears, and yet you know this is a number two versus number three seed. And shout out to Jay, by the way, who made this joke on Twitter. I'm so sad he beat me to it. Shout out to him. After all of the hoopla of the rankings, although one could argue that it is the hoopla of the rankings that led it to be in this scenario that the top four seeds were actually just perfectly positioned to make a run to the finals. That's why they were able to do it. But how funny is it? That the top four seeds actually all ended up reaching the semifinals of this men's event. Quietly, that's pretty funny here in my mind. But, uh, I mean, James McKay is my guy. You know, I've talked about all of these Baylor Bears are my guy. Obviously, that's because Nick's the Koyak's family. I'm going to go Bears 4-2. I mean, it's not going to shock me if it's a 4-3 match. And if Tennessee takes the doubles, I think it is a 4-3 match. But these Baylor Bears, man... They're just really freaking good, and they've made a national indoor final, so they've competed at this stage before. And as you know, old and veteran, uh, as many veterans as this Tennessee team has, I just haven't seen them compete in a national semifinal. I've seen Baylor compete in a national semifinal on that occasion. They blitz through Illinois at the indoors. I'm going to take the Bears for two. But again, if Tennessee wins that match, I'm not going to be surprised by any stretch of the imagination. They're all toss-ups the rest of the way. This isn't 2015 when Virginia played Cal, and it was like if Virginia loses to Cal, then the apocalypse has hit because that was never going to be a loss despite Gorenson as good as he was at one and as good as that Cal team. We're not going to relitigate that Cal team. My boy JT Nakashima, right? He was the two-handers on both sides. Or not Nakashima, Nakamura, excuse me. Um... But yeah, we're, we're not going to relitigate. Shout out to that Cal Bears team. Um, yeah, give me the Bears. I don't know. Bears 4-2. But that match is going to be a battle. And, you know, speaking of battles, the best match of the day yesterday, unequivocally, Texas versus USC was our first tennis channel match of the day as well. And look, both of these teams had played so many 4-3 matches going into the semifinals. And it was a story of two different tales. I think USC was like 2-5 and five in their 4-3 matches. Meanwhile, Texas was 9-1 and one in their 4-3 four, 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 matches. And like I've talked to Bruce Burke all week long. And, you know, I think Colette quoted my question in her uh, Zoo Tennis blog when I was like, you know, at a, at a certain point, 10-1. and one. Like, what does that say about your team in 4-3 matches that they're able to constantly respond when their back is pressed against the wall? And, you know, to Bruce's point, he said, look, you like to say, like, you know, most times it really is luck. And it's just, you know, if it happens two, three, four times, that's just really, really lucky. When it happens 10 times in 11 4-3 matches, that's not luck. That's f***ing gumption. That's what this team has. They've got gumption. I'm sorry for lack of a better term, you know, so I try not to be as, uh, I suppose, grotesque as I may be sometimes in my personal life. They've got balls. Like, I don't know how else to describe it. This team's got a huge set of nuts on them. And just like, no matter the scenario, no matter the circumstance, they find themselves in a 4-3 match. That's right where they want to be. And... You know, you talk about the doubles point in this match, how critical it was. Texas dropped that doubles point against South Carolina. They dropped the doubles point against USC when they played at the National Indoors. It was a very similar circumstance emerging. Destanich and Fry did what they do at number two doubles. And at number three doubles, you know, a lot of credit needs to go 
to the Texas pairing on this day. And, you know, it was just, you know, too good of a performance. Braswell, Holden, Holden. Although I think Sands and Jackson definitely had some break points down at three, but Braswell, Holden, able to get the 6-4 victory. But look, Kuki and Smith, who could win the National Indoor, or win the National Indoor, win the NCAA doubles title, they were up in early break on Waldeb and Spaziri, but Waldeb and Spaziri didn't go anywhere, and Seam played so well in doubles, was firing returns, so aggressive, big at the net. Elliot's energy, too. I mean, Elliot made a ton of returns. That's not, I'm not trying to demean his tennis by focusing on his energy, but the guy was electric. There's always a big go Texas. I think he had a big fan section there for him as well, in particular, and the Texas women were making noise for their Longhorns. But, I mean, look, Kukerman and Smith had the break, they gave it back. Waldeb and Spaziri able to take the breaker, uh, go up an early mini break, just hold on to that mini break, and then get another additional one in that final point. 7-4, they take it, and that's a flipping of the script, and it's 22-2. You guys know the number here in Orlando when you take the doubles point, and look, USC almost came firing back, and you could tell on their faces the energy they had, though, in singles. They were amped. They were like, this match is not over. And I love the USC bench antics. That team is a team that's together. That's a team that knows how, in these pressure moments, how to stick together. And it's so unfortunate that the results didn't break their way today because this team can be that good uh, when clicking on all cylinders. And, you know, you look here. Uh, across the board. There were four three-set matches. Two straights uh, were split between the two. Jake Sands, four and four against even McDonald. Sands just played a great match and kept McDonald on his back foot and you know didn't let McDonald swing through that forehand like he loves to do. And then Micah Braswell, that might, I, you know, it's funny. I always say Vander Schulenberg, Strom, and, uh, sorry, I always say Vander Schulenberg, Strom, Monday are the top three freshmen. And for some reason, I always seem to be leaving Micah Braswell out of that conversation. That is such a mistake on my part. Braswell's part of that class. Braswell, you know, I talk about the Tier 1 being Blumberg and Damajan, and Mitchell Frank belongs in Tier 1 as well. Shout out to the Who's. Um... I mean, what else do you want from Micah Braswell? 19-5 and five in his freshman campaign, 11-4 and four at the two singles position. That's tier one and a half. That's, tier, that's as good as you get as a freshman in college. And, you know, again, for him to get that win four and three over Riley, to get the, you know, three break, the only three breaks of serve all belong to Micah Braswell in this match. He protected that first serve, played first strike, got Riley on his back foot, was able to extend rallies to that 10th, 11th, 12th ball. Micah just took it to him. It was a great match from Micah. And, you know, I don't say that lightly because Riley's my guy, but Micah just beat him. He outclassed him. He was the better player unequivocally on that given day. And then, you know, again, SC's not going anywhere, right? It's They, they get the first set, you know, from – they get three first sets on the board. Texas gets three first sets as well. And it's funny because the three first sets USC won, they protect all of those matches. And let's start with Kuki. Oh, I already mentioned Sands, but now to Kuki, 6-4 first set, then he drops a 6-2. Spaziri just looked like he couldn't hurt Spaziri in the second set. Spaziri was everywhere, took it to him 6-2. I think he even won the opening game of the third set for one love, and then the Kuki monster arrived. And, like, Daniel Kukerman's going to be a pro. I think he's got top 100 athleticism. Like, that's how dynamic of a player he is. I feel like the better you are, the better he becomes. And he was like, wait. Did I just drop a set? No, 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 no. It's time for me to put a point on the board for my boys. That's exactly what he does. Rips through that third 6-1. So that's point number two for USC. Meanwhile, I mentioned Braswell getting that second point. Shout out to Chi-Chi Huang, who 0-1, or 1-0. He lost to Ludwig Vestrate at the National Indoors, and then 
You know, he drops a 6-love second set to West Strait in this match for Chi-Chi to earn a 6-2-0-6-6-3 win over Ludd. As good as Harper was, and we'll get to him in a second, as good as Harper was, that's the swing. That's the inflection point match. For Texas to get that one, um, that was huge. That was what helped protect that lead. And then, you know, comes down to courts three and four. Look, Destanich wall deep, that's just damn good tennis. And you guys know my thoughts on Destanich. Hits the ball as big as anyone here in the field and has that pro athleticism as well. And, you know, CM just gets taller every time I see him. And yeah, I, sometimes I swear to God, CM Waldeep will hit a forehand and he'll be like, damn, I didn't know I could hit the ball that hard. That's good to know moving forward. And just, again, his athleticism, his explosion, he's going to continue to only get better and better here as a college tennis player. But, you know, Dostinich gets the win, 6-3 in the third to make it 3-all, and I, all eyes turn to court number four, and it's just, again, in a 3-all situation, back against the wall. I'm not diminishing Bradley Fry here, um, who had a million chances to win the match. I thought he was going to break for 5-3. Uh, it was, yeah, seven, I thought he was going to break for 5-3 uh, to take that lead, or maybe it was break for whatever it was. I thought he was going to get the break, yeah, for 5-3, and then he would have had the chance to serve for the match. Uh, but again, credit to Cleve Harper, credit to these Texas Longhorns. Each one of them have been in this scenario where it's three all back against the wall. What can you do to deliver for your team? And once again, Cleve Harper is able to deliver. Just he kept finding that extra ball. There was a point where Fry hit like two or three overheads and somehow Harper got his racket on them, hit the lobs with enough depth to make Fry uncomfortable. It's not as though Fry chickened out of hitting overheads. Uh, Harper was that good with his responses. And, you know, again... The energy level, and I sent out a bunch of tweets, and I seriously recommend if you haven't seen them already, sorry to plug my own Twitter account, but just go listen to the atmosphere of the crowd, the USC and Texas players. It was everything you'd want uh, from this from this, uh, from this this matchup, and just, you know, again, credit to Cleve, who's just able to scrap and claw, and I know Brad was a little bit cramping towards the end at you know, both of these guys physically, it's funny because the match started out very loud. There was a lot of, I don't want to say chirping between the two because it was a respectful chirp. And it was funny. I was talking to Mr. Fry, shout out to you, Mr. Fry, if you hear this podcast, who put it perfectly, they weren't cheering. They were cheering at each other, but they weren't cheering at each other. It was the most respectful sort of energy. They were cheering to their benches. It was like, you know, we are SC or what did they say? Texas fight, Texas fight. All these things are just ringing in my head right now, by the way, folks, that's why I keep bringing them up. But what did Texas do? They fought. And, like, they've just been here before. This team's got nuts. I've said it before. And, you know, again, it's a credit to the coaching staff. And to watch that staff huddle and hug together and make the semifinals, given everything they've been through. And just, you know, this is a completely different unit outside of Chi-Chi and Cleve from the national championship match. And Cleve didn't play in that championship match. Uh, Chi-Chi only played doubles in that championship match. And yet... I'll say it for the last time. They've got balls. They've got gumption. Texas won this match for three. Trojans had this. Trojans very well could have won that match again. Whether it's Ludd, Fry, the chances were there on four and five. But, you know, again, Texas executed down the home stretch. There's a reason they're 10 and one in these four, three matches. And now, you know, they're going to get a team they've already beaten here in the semifinals in the Florida Gators. And it's so funny. Go back and listen to the podcast, the collective freakout me, Chris and Matt had after Florida lost to this Texas team. Now two, now they're both NCAA semifinalists. And 
at the National Indoor Weekend, by the way. The kickoff weekend was when Texas beat Florida. And you look at that kickoff weekend, it was Texas, Florida, both semifinalists, Arizona, round of 16, uh, and then Liberty, conference champions. Was that the best kickoff region in the nation? I think pretty unequivocally the answer to that question has to be yes. Um it's just hilarious in retrospect, but of course, talking about the Florida Gators now, you know, I think in the past, I think this Florida team, when they're up on someone, they're as good as it gets. They don't blow leads, and when they're beating you, they're going to beat you badly. But I have sometimes questioned the toughness of this team, and again, that's not, that's such a harsh thing to say to question the toughness. I've just seen them push their, have their backs against the wall, and I've seen them fold. Like, I, I have with my own eyes, whether it was Tennessee in the SEC championship last year, whether it was the tough Tennessee match this year, or the Texas match earlier in the season, but they've answered that question, and they've made me look like a fool, as they always do, and hopefully, you know, I know some of the people on that team listen as well. Hopefully, they kept listening to when I said I've questioned their toughness through the end of that rant, because again, I have no more questions about their toughness. This team's got it. That it quality, that factor you need uh, to win a national championship, this team has it. And I was texting with Oliver Crawford before the match, and he was making his prediction. I was like, I don't know, man. Vashro, Habib, they're playing really well. And he goes, I'm telling you, big match Sam's going to show up. And I think he predicted 6-4, 6-3. You know, in the end, it was 7-6, 6-4 Sam in singles. Um, but he was right. This Florida team's ready. And for them to drop doubles point, they were up, I believe, on Thompson and Aguilar. I think they were up 6-2 in the breaker on one as well. And Thompson and Aguilar race all the... I don't think they were actually up 6-2. I think that was... I'm, I'm confusing matches here. But, I mean, Thompson... Were they? Actually, I think they were. Because the doubles... Yeah, because the scoreboard... This was the match where the scoreboard said Florida had won. And it was like, no, 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 no. Florida has not won the doubles point. It's still going. And Thompson and Aguilar are able to race back, take a 7-6 decision. Of course, Vashro Rollins got a 6-3 decision at two. Granton Verdusco did get a win over Habib and Schachter at three, but, you know, A&M took the doubles point. And once they did, the collect, there's a collective, uh, we're going to be here till 1 a.m., aren't we, uh, on the grounds. And of course, the rain delay that we had, it was like a 30-minute rain delay, didn't help. But a credit, when I talk about the toughness of this Florida team, at the time of the rain delay, I believe they were up breaks on four of the six courts or certainly hovering around it. And you look for this Florida team. They get first sets from Riffis, Bicknell, and Shelton. All of them close out their straight set wins. I talked about Sam a little bit. He's a guy who plays to the level of of his competition. The better you are, the better he's going to become. And just, you know, it's funny. At times I think, is he a little stiff as an athlete? And then he'll hit this just absurd out-of-the-corner shot. And just, again, his forehand, the more pace you provide it, the better it gets. His slice backhand, the variety, his comfort moving forward. He's just a winner. His energy level, it's delightful. And again, that's why he's got the C on his chest. And for freshman Ben Shelton, just a ball of energy, a guy who is loving every moment being on the com- court competing not only for his father, but competing for the Florida Gators. And, you know, he got a 60, he went down, I think, in early break. I think he went down two love in that match and won six straight games and then is able to take that 7-5 second set over Pierce Rollins and just plays an aggressive lefty game style at five, which you really, really like. And he's gotten better and better throughout the season. Of course, you look for uh, for Ben, he's 16-4 and four at the five singles position, 19-4 and four overall the year. He's been a stud, and he's been a contributor that the Gators need when you're replacing someone like an Oliver Crawford, but, you know, again, and Bicknell's undefeated. I don't think I need to tell you, Blaze Bicknell, that forehand is just special, and the confidence he's playing with. Some of us in the crowd were just laughing at how well he was hitting the ball, how, you know, freely he was swinging through that forehand, and just, you know, again, Schachter fought, scrapped, clawed, moved the ball really well around the court, but Blaze just 
Blaze had more power on that day. Blaze was Blaze outperformed Noah. That's it's that simple. Again, it, it's not it's not a it's not a slight of Noah Schachter to say Blaze outplayed him. Like Blaze has outplayed everyone. You look at Blaze's record here during this season, and I don't need to hear all the boosha that some of you may be thinking at home. He's twenty two and two overall in the year, seventeen and zero at the number four singles position. That's just legit, folks. He earns another straight set victory, and then look. I think Goodger was going to come back at six, but him and Guido were battling in the third. Aguilar, for him to come back, it felt like Andrade had him down and out, and Aguilar races to that second set, somehow takes it 6-4, races out to a three-love lead in the second, and he ended up scrapping back, taking four set, uh, four straight games, was up 4-3 a break uh, at the time of the clinch, but... I don't think I've spent enough time talking about how much how much better Duarte Valley has gotten over these past couple of seasons, and I've been a Duarte Val- uh, doubter. I'm not going to lie. I just, you know, again, watching him earlier in his career, I didn't see it. I didn't understand what made him such a special talent. I see it now. A, the way he competes. B, physically, he gets better and better with every passing day, week, month, year. And then C, I mean, again, his serve, his forehand, how well-rounded his skill set is, his willingness to play to win, his ability to be and hit in the outer thirds of the court. Vashro had the biggest weapon on the court in his forehand. It didn't matter because Duarte kept scrapping, clawing, moving Vashro around the court and just staying alive in that match, making it competitive, embracing the crowd, doing all of the things you want out of a number one senior, uh, a number one singles player and a captain on your team. And you know, after he dropped that first set for him to get a 6-1-6-2 victory, especially it was funny because it felt like Andrade, if he can close his match out in straight sets, it would have been a quick four for Gators were out of there before midnight. Andrade lost his second set at about 11.57 p.m. And there was a collective, oh, we really are going to be here till like 1 a.m. But, you know, we weren't because Duarte played in that third set, played so, 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 so well, 6-2 victory for him, and now Florida's back into the semifinals for the second straight season, and it's the same core, right? Uh, Bicknell, or not Bicknell, excuse me, Valle, Riffis, Andrade, they were all here, and they actually played this Texas, I mean, not this Texas team, but they played Texas in the semifinals in 2019. History repeats itself if you know how to listen for it, and we know how to listen for it here at Crack Rackets, and look, it's a running gig here. Is it the best rivalry in college tennis? Maybe. Uh, no, the answer is obviously no. It's not the best rivalry, but it's a rivalry. There's no secrets between these Gators and these Longhorns, and I'm sure if I asked Sam Riffis, A, because he always seems to have the right answer ready, but B, he would say, yes, we, there's no one we would rather play than Texas. And you look at the match early in the season, it was a 4-3 win for the Longhorns. They dropped the doubles point, uh, but then got wins from Waldeeb, Spaziri, Harper, and Huang. And it's funny because at that time, Bicknell was playing 6 Inglidson was playing four. Shelton was playing five. Obviously, the lineup has changed since then. Top three still the same for both uh, for the Gators. Top three order has shifted. It's now Spaziri one, Braswell two, Waldeep three. But, I mean, Harper versus Bicknell, fireworks at four. And let's get into the preview now. I mean, you look at the doubles numbers. It's so tough to talk doubles when you talk about these Florida Gators because it's two new teams, right? Completely different. Uh, three new teams, excuse me. Completely different coming into the NCAA tournament, and they're starting to get better. They're definitely, you know, they lost that doubles point to A&M, but they played a pretty solid doubles point. Meanwhile, Texas is hot right now in doubles. Spazirian and Waldi playing well, and, you know, again, whether it's Holden and 
just across the board. Uh, they're, they're playing really good doubles right now. So even if you lean Texas, though, in the doubles, you look at the UTRs for both of these teams. Florida, uh, 80.67 power six UTR. Texas, a 78.75. You look up and down the board. Um, you know, uh, Vale's a .24 favorite. Riffis, .16. Andrade, .20. Bicknell, .21. Shelton, .54. Goodyear, .57. Uh, a lot of good matches up and down the board. And so, you know, you look at... Who's the team that can get the job done? Who's the one? Um, oh, I'm sorry. I just got a text message, and that's notable for me. I apologize for being distracted. Leave this in West off. Anyways, I mean, again, it's a national semifinal. I don't know what you guys want from me. I'm looking at the boards here. I'm looking at the numbers. Volley and Spaziri have had relatively similar seasons. Volley's probably, I mean, Volley's been slightly better, but... Elliot's hot, and Elliot's a big match player, and just, I know he lost to Kukerman, but I think that match is going three. Riffis versus Braswell, that's as good of a two singles match as you're going to find in any permutation across the country. Waldeeb has the ability to take it to Andy Andrade, but the fact that Andrade's not going to have to be the aggressor at all times, that's probably a good thing for Andy's game style. And then, you know, Shelton Huang, Shelton's a freshman, but he's so energetic, seems to be embracing these moments the only thing I feel confident about is Goodger, who, you know, I think he's lost once maybe this season, but I don't think he's lost that number six singles. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like Goodger takes six. That's the only point I'm sure of in the match. Like, everything else, toss-ups. I've, I've seen Valet, you know, I've seen Valet play so well here, but I've seen Spaziri perform in big moments, and I know Bicknell's undefeated, but did you watch Cleve Harper clinch against Bradley Fry? Now you're going to go ahead and just pick against Cleve Harper. And I will say, I think both of the coaches, for staffs for these teams asked me to pick against their team, so maybe I'll just pick myself in this match. The winner's going to be me as a fan watching this one unfold. But that's lame. You guys don't come to this podcast for me to duck the hard questions. This is where I want Chris and... Well, just so you guys know, because Chris said wanted me to bring this up, Chris now has a three-game lead on me and Maddie in terms of correct selections here because I picked USC over Virginia, so did he. But I also picked, uh, I think, Illinois over Florida, and that's the one that hurt me. They both had Illinois. Uh, Maddie, of course, picked Virginia, so he and I are still tied and three games back. So, you know, for the sake of that, I know Chris's picks. He's picking Florida. He's picking Baylor, and then he'll probably pick Baylor in that championship match. Although, actually, I don't want to project for him. Just scratch that. I don't know if he'd pick Baylor. If you're Florida Nation, knowing him, he's the SEC slappy. He's 100% going to pick Florida, so maybe that's where we make up one game on him. I suppose for the sake of the of the gig, I should just say I'm actually picking Tennessee and uh, Texas to win the matches just so I can try and make up that gap on him, and, uh, on him. but again... My boy asked me to pick against the Texas Longhorns. Should I pick against them just to make him happy? <sighs> but there's something about this Texas team. They're just special. And like The doubts I have about Florida when they get pressured and their backs are against the wall, I have no doubts about Texas. I think the weirder thing for them would be if they're up like 3-0 on someone and two points away from a 4-0 victory, they'd be like, wait, 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 wait. This is unacceptable. Let's, let's add some drama here. Let's make sure this match goes another six hours. But, I mean, they're kind of at home. It's going to be a rowdy environment tonight. Again, these two teams know each other so well. I think it's really hard to beat a team twice in one season, especially when the margins are this thin. So I'm going to take the Gators. I don't feel good about it. I think Texas takes the doubles point. Again, 22-2, and two, Alex. You know the number. Goodger, Bicknell, 
Big match Sam. Although Mike has been so good. Oh, man. I don't know, man. I hope you all hear me visibly struggling. I'll take Florida 4-3. But I'm taking a 4-3 match. That's all this. And then the problem is, though, it's a 4-3 match. And are you really going to pick against Texas in a 4-3 match, Alex? That's after the after the rant you just gave. <sighs> yeah. Screw it. 4-3 Florida. But again, it's a toss-up. It's going to go either way. And I'm not going to be surprised by any of these results moving forward. I know that's not great podcasting. That's doubling down. I'll take again Florida. And I'm going to take Baylor. But more than anything, it's going to be a spectacular Friday of tennis. And of course, again, if you have missed any of the action, you need to catch up on anything. You can find it all on our website, crackrackets.com. A shout-out, as always, to super producers, Max Ligner and Daniel Westoff, for the... Of an any job they do day in day out, and again, I'm dragging Matt and Chris on this podcast on t- uh, tonight or tomorrow morning before the final start. That is my promise to all of you listeners. You will have the college tennis holy trinity at least one more time here in the college tennis season. But for now, for our super producers Fligner and Westoff, for our friends at Midwest Sports, and by the way, MidwestSports.com. The promo code is CR15, and for all of us here at both Cracked. Oh, and also for our friends at Turner Grip. Remember, contact that's a free one for you, Midwest Sports. Leave it in Westoff, but contact sales at UniqueSports.com or 800-554-3707. But for all of those people, I'm your host Alex Gruskin. You know what we say? Hey, great shot, and we'll see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Mm-hmm.